I started last week just talking about, um, I've been looking at a John Bevere series myself in terms of some of my personal study, and uh, I felt to share over the next couple of weeks about how to deal with offense. There's so many opportunities to be offended inside the church, outside of the church, at work, all over the place. And uh, as God's been speaking to us about being rooted in Him, rooted in Christ, I think there's some clues for us in these stories that I'd like to share tonight. We're going to look at the life of Joseph tonight, but if we are rooted in Christ, then there's very little room for other stuff. As soon as our relationship with Him starts to lack its passion and lack its enthusiasm and lack a worshipful heart, like I shared on Sunday, then a whole lot of other stuff begins to creep in. And it is a barometer for us. And so I I want us to kind of, I know this perhaps is not uh, an easy message to preach, but I really trust that I can do it with a smile on my face and that you would uh, allow God to come. And if he needs to do work in your heart, that he does work in your heart. Because I think ultimately we want to become more and more like Jesus. That's why we're here. I mean, there are many other things we could be doing tonight, but we want to be together with God's people so that we can be transformed more and more into the likeness of his son. And so we, we talked last week um, about trying to define what offense is, and I used that word scandalon, the Greek word scandalon, which talks about the trap that the hunter used to use, and he put bait on this trap, and the animal, the mammal, or the bird would come and take the bait. And I said, out of this, this um, study that I've been doing, that uh, that word scandalon means the bait in the trap. And offense is like that. It's the, the, the trap that the devil is, the bait in the trap that the devil tries to get us to bite on so that he can conform us to his will, not to the will of Christ. And we looked at Luke 17, we looked at um, Matthew 24 as well. And if you don't, if you weren't here, please just get online and, and listen to the message. But I want to look at two basic points tonight and how people can be offended. And I think there are two basic categories of people. There are those that are genuinely offended because they have been mistreated, and that's a, that is a, an absolute um, tragedy when that happens. But secondly, there are those that think that they've been mistreated, but really they haven't been mistreated. And often those people have inaccurate information, or at times they've heard things via the grapevine that are not true, and they take on other people's offense. And I, it was interesting, in Proverbs, you know, the language of Solomon is quite strong sometimes. And he says this, says in Proverbs, he says, there's six things that God hates and the seventh is an abomination. Now when you read that, you think, well, he's going to say murder, uh, sexual immorality. That's an abomination to God. And he simply says this, he says, the thing that's an abomination to God is those who sow discord amongst brothers. That's an incredibly powerful thing. Those that sow discord amongst brothers, that bring division amongst brothers, God hates that. In other words, we could just simply put it, gossip is poison, it's arsenic. I've said this before. Unforgiveness is like taking poison yourself and waiting for someone else to die. That's unforgiveness. And gossip is like that. It's a poison. Our ears, our ears are beautiful things that should be hearing what God is speaking to us. Our ears are not garbage refuge collecting points. Our heart is not a garbage dump. It's not a tip. It's not a tip. We need to guard our ears and guard our hearts because the heart is the wellspring of life. Isn't that right? And Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if people talk badly about your husband, and you are the wife, or they speak badly about your wife and you're the husband, walk away. Cut it off. 
If they sp- people speak badly about your kids, walk away, cut it off. If they speak badly about your Christian brother or sister, walk away, cut it off, don't tolerate it. Put the phone down. Why? Because you want your heart to be the wellspring of life. Amen? Of course, there, there are times when accusations are true and there's proof. But I want to just say this, especially in the, in the life of a church, that if accusations are brought against people, it's, it's, the scripture is quite clear, let it be by two or three witnesses of the event. Not by two or three witnesses of what someone said they thought they saw someone else say. And then it's just absolute nonsense, okay? Two witnesses of the event, and then we can move from there. Sometimes people have uh, inaccurate information, that makes them draw wrong conclusions. But sometimes they have the correct information, but they discern incorrectly. It's like Helen and I always talk about this in terms of the prophetic word, because often you can have a prophetic word, where it starts to go wrong is when you try and interpret it, and sometimes you put the wrong discernment on the interpretation. And perhaps God is not saying the thing that you think he's saying. And often it's like that as well. Discernment, for me, discernment is rooted in the love of God. It's rooted in the love of God. Criticism is not rooted in the love of God. Alright? There's a counterfeit to discernment, and that's criticism. I want to say, absolutely, that if you are feeling something needs to be said, and you are discerning something in someone's life, and you want to share that with them, ask yourself this question before you share that with them. Would I die for this person? Would I die for this person? You know, I often think of Jesus with his language sometimes to the Pharisees was strong. <laughs> you brood of vipers. You are rotten on the inside and you're whitewashed on the outside. I mean, that's strong language. He, he kind of takes them on head on. But you know what? He could do that because he was prepared to die for them and he did. That's an amazing thing. When there's love in your heart, it kind of it brings perspective to everything that you say if we're rooted in the love of Christ. So I want to, as an introduction, I want to just then look at the life of Joseph. Because let's talk about people who have genuine, genuinely be offended, have been offended and, and mistreated. How, how should we respond to that? Okay? Do you have a right to be offended? Well, in a sense, you have a right to do anything. You have a right to respond in any way that you choose. Because God doesn't violate our wills, does he? He allows us to make our own choices. And we have the Bible encourages us to choose his life and not to serve after the flesh. And uh, we do that all the time. And what I mean by that, well, very simple illustration. If you choose to drive a car and you leave this place and you drive on the wrong side of the road consistently and you disobey the rules of the road consistently, you will ultimately choose death over life. You will. Because you're going to have an accident. All right? It's very simple, but that's true. So do we have the right to be offended? And this question is, a, is an amazing thing. And Joseph's story is such an amazing story. This was a man who had the right to be offended at every turn. And look how he responds. And ultimately, he's an amazing testimony to all of us. And I think we can learn some amazing lessons from him. So his story in brief, you know it. And I, I, I'm going to just... Brief little summary of it. Matt's just played in Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, so it's kind of like very fresh in my mind. All right? So Joseph is the son of Jacob, and we know that Jacob was the son of Isaac, and we know that Isaac was the son of Abraham. All right. You know that, my brother? <laughs> you can sing all the songs. What number is Joseph of the sons? 
His number? Eleven. He's eleven of the sons. And we know that he's Jacob's favorite son. That's why he gives him the amazing Technicolor dream coat. And of course his brothers are absolutely hacked off. They don't like that at all. And so Joseph, God, it says, the scripture says, God gives him a dream one night. And he is an arrogant teenager. God gives him this dream of these sheaves of wheat that bow down to his sheaf. And uh, he puts two and two together, interprets the dream. Ah, my brothers are going to bow down and serve me one day. I'm going I'm to lead them. And, and so with all the sort of innocence and arrogance of youth, I suppose, he goes to them the next day and he shares this dream with them. He says, guys, you're not going to believe what I dreamed. God showed me last night. I'm sure he said it was a little kind of dig like brothers do. God showed me last night that you are going to serve me. I'm going to be a leader one day. And that's the way it's going to be. And of course, they are absolutely hacked off. That he's declaring himself the leader. And so then he has another dream. And you know the other dream? He now dreams that the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. It's like even grander now. Did you see the eclipse this week? Did you see it today? It's amazing. Southeast Asia. So there won't be another one like it for 150 years. The moon completely blocked out the sun for six and a half minutes. Go online tonight and have a look. It's absolutely amazing. They saw it in India, uh, China, Hong Kong, places like that. Anyway, I digress. But anyway, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they bow down to Joseph. So God again speaks to Joseph. And he comes the next day and he says, you know what? <laughs> God had showed me another dream. And you know what? It's not only you're going to bow down to me, but everyone else is my mother and my father, everyone. They're going to, I, I'm, I'm going to be the main man. God's told me. So the brothers now are just, they are really deeply, deeply, hateful of this boy. And so their father sends the, 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 the brothers off to look after flocks. And in those days, they would have gone a great distance. So they go a great distance to look after flocks and find grazing for them. And uh, Jacob says, Joseph, my son, take some provisions to your brothers out in the, the highlands there or wherever they were and take them some supplies. So off he goes. And of course, you know the story. As they see him coming closer, they come up with a cunning plan, Baldrick, and they say, we're going to, this is our opportunity. We're miles from anywhere. He's not going to rule over us. Best thing we can do right now is just kill him. All right? And there's a classic scripture in Genesis 37, which says, come now, let us kill this dreamer, and let's see what, let's see what comes of his dream. And they come up with this plan. They throw him down a pit and leave him to starve. That's the, what they're going to do to kill him. They tear his robe up, the whole story, you know. But then a few hours later, what, what happens in the musical? The Ishmaelites come along, isn't that right? The Ishmaelites come along singing, and they are taking slaves off to Egypt. So Judah, Judah's a good name, eh? Judah, the fourthborn, he decides, ah, ah, okay, I can make some money out of this as well. So he says, well, why should I just let him die in the pit? I can sell him as a slave. I can make some money. We all benefit. And it's like he's dead anyway because he goes off to Egypt. No one's going to hear of him again. And we're all happy. He's out of our way. We've got some bucks and we're all happy. So that's what they do. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. All right? Jacob and sons. And what did we learn last week? We learned that there's a process of betrayal that happens which leads, ultimately starts in offense. Remember I shared that. When something happens in your heart, you start to betray relationships to preserve yourself. And so because these guys were so offended, they were prepared to betray their own brother, send him away in captivity as a slave to satisfy their own desire, their own need. Offense leads to betrayal. 
So, Joseph has got, already got lots of opportunity to be offended. I mean, he was, in some senses, he was only speaking what God told him. I mean, he did it incorrectly, but that's what he did. So he ends up in whose house? Potiphar's house. Potiphar's a main man. He's one of Pharaoh's advisors. We know that. He's one of his Pharaoh's officers. He works in Pharaoh's house for 10 years. 10 years. And uh, for me, you know, when I was just thinking about this, it's easy when you know the end of the story to look back and to say, you know, you can see the hand of God and how God is leading Joseph and it's all very clear to us now. But can you imagine him? He's been betrayed by his family. He's kind of in Egypt. He's in working for somebody else. God gave him this promise and he hasn't seen one, one hint of the promise coming true. It's 10 years into the thing and all he knows that has happened to him is what his brothers have done to him. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing that this man is going through. And those times, every son, it was important that there was a male line. Why? Because the sons got the inheritance. All right? And so for him, it was one thing to be born as a slave into the society and know nothing else. But he was the son of a wealthy man who had an inheritance due to him and now he was sold into, into slavery. That's a, that's a different animal. That's a different story. Okay? It was like, did anyone see that movie called Dead Man Walking? Well, he might as well have been dead, Joseph, because his inheritance had been robbed from him and he was like a dead man walking. What they had done to him actually was as, was as good as him being dead. Because everything that would have motivated him in his culture, in terms of his inheritance and his future and everything that was in store for him, had been taken away, just like he was a dead man walking. So he works for Potiphar 10 years without complaining. And he's being obedient to the word of God. And what starts to happen? We know the story. God starts to bless him, bless him, bless him. And he rises up in Potiphar's household and he becomes the main man in the house, all of the household. But there's a nasty something brewing. Always, just when you think things are going well, there's something brewing. And what's brewing? Potiphar's wife has absolutely got the hots for Joseph. She's, the Bible says, actually, she says, she badgered him daily. Now, it's one thing, it's one thing to be hit on once. I've had that, believe it or not. My wife has had that many times. Where people try and hit on your partner. You never had that? It's one thing when it happens once, but the Bible says she did it every day. She badgered him every day to try and seduce him. And he stood up to her every time and said, no, not going to do it. I'd grieve God and I'd, I'd grieve your husband. I am not, I'm not available. All right? So one day the scripture says they're alone in the house and she seizes the opportunity and she just grabs him. And she says, you're going to sleep with me. And he says, I ain't going to sleep with you. And he runs away. As he runs away, the robe tears. And uh, he's out of the house. He's obviously now semi-naked or, or naked completely. And um, he says, I'm not going to do this thing that you're asking me to do. And now she's a woman scorned. So what does she do? She lays the blame on him. She cries rape. Says, this guy tried to rape me. So actually, in obedience to God's word, it's true. Joseph was only doing what the Word says we should do, flee sexual immorality, so he's running away from this thing that he knows is not good for him. And what happens? He gets thrown in jail for a bang. 
man, he's got another opportunity to be deeply offended and hacked off with God. God, I was only doing what you asked me to do. I'm being obedient. I'm a son. I love you. I don't want to violate your uh, plan for my life in any way, so I'm not going to do this. And he ends up in jail. Second opportunity for him to be offended. Now, I've, as I was listening to this uh, thing today, about the prisons in the Middle East were, were not kind of like big, airy spaces, like Alcatraz. Most of the prisons in the Middle East in those days were cisterns, water cisterns that had been drained of water, and some of them were only four, the ceilings were four to six feet high. They were incredibly musty, dark, and wet, damp. And the scripture says that he was there for two years, Joseph, in this kind of And if you read Psalm 105, verse 17, it says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters, and his neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said come to pass, and the word of the the Lord tested him. So there he is, he's got a collar of, of iron around his neck, he's got chains on his feet that are hurting him, and he's there for two years. Now, if it was me, maybe if it was you, I don't know, if it was me, I would have taken that time to plot revenge. (laughs) I would have thought about every single opportunity when my brothers came back, how I would get even. Retribution, revenge, all that stuff. His brothers had behaved badly. For him sitting in jail, it's like he had paid the price for obeying God by being thrown in jail, and it seems like the wicked guys are getting away with it. I mean, his brothers are back with their father, enjoying the wealth and the inheritance of the household, and he's sitting in jail. There's an interesting scripture in Malachi chapter 3. I won't read it now, but you can, you can read it later. God prophesies through, the, uh, through Malachi and says, In the last days there will become a refining fire that will come upon his church in the last days. And he says, there'll be two kinds of people in the church. The first group of people will say, what good has it been for us to seek after you with all of our hearts? It seems like the wicked are getting away with their sin. It seems like the wicked prosper. And we are, we are here in your house. We are living righteously. And it's like you don't even see, Lord. Honoring you brings trouble upon our lives. Is it worth it? And then the scripture says there's a second group of people that simply hold to a fear and a love of God and they meditate on His Word. And those are the people that get on and endure the same circumstances as everybody else without complaining. They are the ones that keep their eyes simply on His faithfulness. On His faithfulness. And David encourages us in the Psalms and says we need to feed on the faithfulness of God. Feed on the faithfulness of God. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, sometimes the promises of God for your life are not even enough. Why did I say that? Well, you look at Abraham. Abraham had a promise from God that he would have a son who would be, would lead, for, lead to an inheritance for him across the world. And then it says that he, he actually walks for miles and miles to, and he's, he's about to sacrifice the promise of God on the altar. And all he can feed off, all he can depend upon is the faithfulness of God. And we read in Hebrews that he says, actually he believed in his heart that if he killed his son, God would raise him from the dead. But God provides a ram in the thicket for him. He was dependent completely, feeding off the faithfulness of God 
to him. So Joseph has all this time, two years in the dungeon, to think. He had a lot of time to, come, to get angry, a lot of time to be bitter. He had all, many of his freedoms taken away, but his, he had his inheritance taken away. But the one freedom that he still had that was not robbed from him was simply this, his ability to respond correctly and not to get offended. That's what he had, that freedom not to get offended. And I suppose he could have played the what-if game. What if my brothers had not done this? What if I had done that? What if this hadn't happened? What if that had happened? And we play those games ourselves, don't we? All the time. My life wouldn't be like this if my parents had done this or if I had a better education. We can, we, there's so much regret we can have and, and excuse the situation that we find ourselves in right now. We can play the what-if game. We can blame everybody else. But I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of the sovereignty of God. I'm, co- I'm convinced of the grace of God. And I want to say this over you as a, as a church and over my own life, that no man, no woman, no child, no angel, no demon, nobody can defeat the will of God for your life. I absolutely believe that. And that scripture in Genesis 37, which I've quoted already, verse 19, if you want to look it up, it says, They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him, throw him into the pit, and we will say, we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and then we will see what becomes of his dream. What were his brothers trying to do? They were trying to destroy the call of God on his life. They were trying to rob it from him. The good news is that no one can do that. God has spoken something over your life. No man can take it from you. But there's, I believe this too, that you can destroy the call of God in your life. You can destroy the call of God in your life. And here I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about the fact that we are saved. I'm talking about how we work out, how we enjoy our salvation, our inheritance rather, here on earth and in, and in heaven one day. The fullness of the inheritance that God has for us to walk into. We can enjoy that fully or we can, we can lose it. The fullness of the inheritance that God has for us. For example, what am I talking about? Well, you know the story of the, the guys going into the promised land. The Israelites going into the promised land. It says that after a year, God said, you've wandered enough in the desert, let's send the spies into the promised land. So they sent 12 spies, 10 come back with a negative report, 2 come back with a, a good report. And the people grumbled and they complained and they just said, take us back to Egypt. We want the cloves and the leaves, and the cloves and the garlic and all that stuff. I used to say this often, what, what's the problem with garlic? It gives you a bad breath, doesn't it? You can smell people that have been eating garlic. And that's the problem with people that complain. When you're around them, it's just like, ugh. Take a pongo. Take one of those things. We, I used to have pongo sweets. You know those pongo things? It was uh, parsley. You just... Eat it, it takes away your bad breath. Sometimes we need a good dose of pongo. We're going to be a pilgrim, one pilgrim, one pongo. Take a pongo if you're going to be a pilgrim. Alright? No complaining. You know why? Because complaining is also poison. Because actually what complaining says to God is, actually God, you are not doing a good job with my life right now. And actually if I was you, I could do a better job than you're doing right now. That's what complaining actually does. And it's an insult to his character. It's an insult to his, his sovereign hand upon our lives. And we are actually just saying, God, we think we can do a better job with us than you can do with us when we complain. 
Actually, it's evidence of a complete fear of God. And when I look at the life of Joseph, all that he went through, isn't it amazing that the scripture doesn't say once that he complained? Man, that's a powerful thing. He didn't complain. He didn't complain when his brothers threw him down into the pit. He didn't complain in the jail. And that scripture I referenced in Malachi 3, that's exactly what it talks about. There's the two groups. One complains, the other doesn't. It doesn't seem worthwhile to persevere through hard times. But the Bible says this quite clearly. Where the word of God is preached, opposition will come. It says that quite clearly. And if you look at um, Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, the Lord says, let my people go to worship me. And he declares the word of God and it's a brilliant and it's a good thing. And what does Pharaoh say? He says, ah, okay, now you're going to make bricks and you're going to gather your own straw <laughs> to make the bricks. And you're going to make more bricks. It's like Pharaoh responds and he makes it even harder for them. When the word of God comes, there will be opposition. I think the most important thing is how we respond to the resistance that comes against us. Either we respond by the Spirit, or we don't. And I think something of how we do that determines the future that God can unlock for us. God's words and promises will come to pass, but don't get offended along the way. I don't think God is in a panic. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want to insult anyone, but... I think God knows about our job losses. Jesus is not in heaven, in heaven with the Father and the, and, and the Holy Spirit, and they're not kind of panicking together. What are we going to do? These people have lost their work. What are we going to do? Now that they've already, God's got is sovereign. For those of you that have been waiting for husband and wives, perhaps, perhaps like thirty years, don't panic. You know what? God is not panicking. And we might say, well, I'm not panicking, but actually, sometimes the way that we behave betrays that there's panic in our hearts. And we actually do panic. God is sovereign. God knows our needs and God wants to bless us and lead us into a destiny and future. And for me, the amazing story, the amazing thing about Joseph, I'm trying to do this in half an hour. Nearly finished. Is that the biggest test for Joseph comes right at the end of his life. Well, the end of the story, not the end of his life. And isn't it true that sometimes the greatest attack comes just before the breakthrough? And just before the harvest is released, we have experienced the greatest amount of, of uh, opposition. It was like that in the life of David. You know, very, the very day that, 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 uh, that uh, Saul was being put to death by the Philistines, the scripture says that David, his own men, wanted to kill him on the very same day. How's that? Not even your enemies, your own guys, and the, the guys that you've been leading into battle, they want to kill you as well. I mean, that's not a good place to be in, huh? So David, he knew... And how he responded at that point determined something of his future. So I want to encourage you, don't get weary in doing good. That's what the scripture says. Don't get weary in doing what you know is right because in due time you will reap a harvest of righteousness. My friends, I want us to encourage each other with that in a daily way as we go forward this year. Let us not grow weary in doing what is good. I want to re- reiterate, it's not for salvation's sake, it's for the inheritance that God wants to release for us into our future. Amen? So Joseph's greatest test comes right now at the end of the story, and he sends two men into his life that need ministry. Who are they? The butler and the baker. So the butler and the baker thrown in jail. And they want ministry. Now, Joseph's been there for two years. 
Perhaps, you know, perhaps if it was me, I would say this to them. Get a life. I've been here for two years. Here's a Bible. Go read and pray. And hear God for yourself. I've got other problems right now. I'm trying to get out of jail. Perhaps I would have said that. I don't know about you, but I think I probably would have said that. Don't ask me for ministry right now. I'm also in pain. <laughs> God has enough problems of his own. And ultimately, it's God's greatest test for Joseph. And why do I say that? Because can he be the one to proclaim over their lives while they are in jail the faithfulness of God in terms of their future and their destiny when he's been in jail, he's been, it's now a 12-year process and he has not yet seen one iota of what God has promised him. Not one sniff of it. All that God promised him, he has not even experienced one millisecond of it, and yet he is now challenged. The challenge for him is to declare the faithfulness of God over to other people that have come into his life. Man, that is a challenge. I think if he was like many people in the church today that were bitter and offended with God and with people, Joseph wouldn't have ministered to, to them. And and. Ultimately, he would have missed God's plan of redemption to get him out of jail. Because you know the story. The story is what? The baker gets, and the butler gets restored to his rightful place. He's serving Pharaoh, Pharaoh one day, and Pharaoh is, is disturbed by this dream. He has this dream of cows. And he's like, uh, he's like what is this? And he, he, he can't, can't understand this dream. So the, the, the butler says, I know a guy. I know a guy. He was in prison with me, and he, he told me the meaning of my dream. Perhaps he can do the same for you. And so he does. Calls him out of jail. Pharaoh tells him the dream, interprets, interprets it well. It has to do with the famine that is coming. And he rises now to prime minister of the whole of Egypt. When the famine comes and his brothers come to him, he could have used his power to actually wreak absolute revenge in one moment. And Pharaoh wouldn't have given two hoots because he didn't even know who they were. Yeah? Could have wreaked havoc, could have wreaked revenge. If he was offended with them, it was his absolute opportunity to have them killed. But he used his power to serve and bless them. And he sends them away, blessing them. And, and, uh, and uh, they go with bags full of provision. Ultimately, what God was doing with Joseph over those 12 years was developing in him the character or the muscle power or the weight or the shoulder span, whatever you want to call it, so that he could handle the leadership that God did want to give him. My friends, I think it's, it's like that in our lives. God has so much in store for us. God has so much that he wants us to walk into. Don't take the bait of offense. Don't let it bag, bite you. Because once you've bitten, the devil has got a foothold. And ultimately then, we are, the foothold becomes a stronghold and the stronghold can actually oppress what God is wanting to release. And I want to encourage you with that. Let's, let's move into the future of what God has for us, leaving things behind that need to be left behind, dealing with things in our hearts. It's a great future that He has for us. Amen.